Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I arrived at this conclusion because I have been through all four quadrants. Okay. Um, and, and by virtue of looking at my own life, where I went from being this person who hustled hard and got everything that she wanted and made it happen and there were no obstacles, to being this person who was depressed and watching Ellen and eating Haagen-Dazs on the couch in the middle of the day, to being this person who kind of let life happen to her but was very much okay with it and was just letting things go and I was feeling considerably better but not creating any resistance results for myself to this place where I'm at now, where it's some kind of happy marriage of all of those things, minus the Haagen-Dazs. Um, that's kind of where it started is watching my own transformation, but then seeing where do all of my clients fit? Because I would see these similarities and these differences between them. And I always knew what to tell them, but it was always very different. And so I just started plotting people and started understanding the similarities and differences between their head, like how they were thinking about things, but also how they were feeling about things. And that marriage of the two is really important when you're trying to get ahead. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Jessica, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually was introduced to you by way of one of our former guests, Sarah Peck, who has been a consistent referral source for amazing people. Every single time she refers somebody, they've knocked it out of the park. So no pressure at all. <laughs> no pressure, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on that note, I want to start by asking you, uh, what social group were you a part of in high school? And what impact did that end up having on your life and the choices that you've made with your career? Mm, interesting. Um, in high school, actually, I don't know that I was really part of a social group in high school. I was um, I was one of the smartest kids in my school and not to, to over inflate myself, but that's just kind of how it was. I um, spent a lot of time with the students who were actually a year ahead of me. Uh, that's where all my friends were. And I had very few peer friends. If, I mean, obviously they were still peers, but um, people in my grade. And I, by my senior year, I ran out of classes to take. I only went half days and then like took a class at a community college and worked some and stuff. So um, I, I don't know that I really fit into a group other than like the smart people, uh, <laughs> which isn't really a thing. Um, but that that was kind of my type. And I think that's how I was known at school, too. What extracurricular activities did you participate in? Uh, 
None, honestly. Um, I, I was part of yearbook. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but that's not really extracurricular. It's a class. It suited uh, my my aspirational design sensibilities. I, they're very just aspirational. They're not at all good. But it was okay for a high school newspaper and yearbook. And it suited writing. And quite frankly, I just liked the teacher. She was no nonsense. And she uh, she didn't put up with my crap, which was hard to come by. She was somebody who I felt challenged by. And she didn't care that I was the smart one. She pushed me beyond what I was capable of, even though that was further than maybe she had to push other people. So I think that was probably a big part of the draw. Uh-huh. Being the, the smart person in uh, a high school, did that have any impact on sort of what you saw as, as sort of the value of high school? I, I can tell you, I kind of looked at high school and I was like, the only this is a like a necessary evil between me and getting the hell out of here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was I think I was very wrapped up in what was possible and in my potential. And nobody in my family had gone to college. So I was the first one to do that. I when I went to college, I had every intention of getting my Ph.D. And so it was just like, let me get this over with uh, and let me you know, get on to the next thing. And I kind of lived in that mode for a while where it was always the chase of the next thing and, you know, graduating early or uh, with a really great GPA or whatever, like those things came and went really quickly. And I always had my sight on what the next big thing was going to be. If your parents didn't go to college and you were the first in your family, where did this uh, sort of discipline or this, you know, uh, drive to be the smartest person in class come from? So there was no drive. And that was part of the problem is that uh, in elementary school, like I, I started grading papers for my teachers because I had nothing left to do. Uh, they put me in typing class in fourth grade because I completed the program that most kids were supposed to finish by the end of fifth grade, things like that. And so I had no drive at all. Mm -hmm. I thought that just by walking into the room, I was the smartest person, uh, which made me really arrogant. And if I'm being totally honest, is something that still rears its ugly head every once in a while until, you know, come somebody comes along and gives me some humble pie. Uh Um, but I think that experience of not having to be driven really set me up for like these pivotal experiences that I had in college where I came in and I thought that I was going to crush it like I always had Mm. just by walking into the room. And that didn't happen. Right. And I had a lot of combined experiences that made my first semester or two in college very defining for me and in a lot of ways very difficult for me, but also, you know, made me kind of realize, okay, like there's life outside of this small bubble that you grew up in. And just because in that you know, I, just because you were a big fish in a small pond doesn't mean that you can be great everywhere. And that was actually a really good thing for me. Two questions. One, uh, where did you go to college and what was the experience? What was one of the experiences that humbled you? 
Yeah. So I was accepted to UW-Madison in April over the phone, um, which kind of, you know, contributed to my arrogance because most people like apply to school way earlier and don't, uh, don't get accepted over the telephone without submitting an application and things like that. And so I got there and I thought that it was just going to continue. And so I took like, I don't know, calc and chemistry and some other hard science class. And those were like my first three classes in college. And I grew up in Kansas City. And during that first semester, my grandmother passed away. So I made three trips back home in three weeks. And between those classes, um, the traveling, the unexpected traveling that I did, and then just being completely on my own for the first time. You know, I was completely financially on my own. I had my own apartment. I didn't live in dorms. Like, I was an adult spontaneously, 500 miles away from home, uh, in a place where I knew very, very few people. And I think all of those things contributed to me having this real wake-up call that, like, you don't know as much as you thought you did. Um, which was knocked me hard on my butt first. And then, you know, obviously a lot of growth came out of that. It's funny because I, I, I'm thinking about, you know, when I got to Berkeley and you look around suddenly and you walk into a lecture hall of 800 people and you realize every one of these people was probably valedictorian of their high school yes. class. Yes. And they're all here mainly because they got rejected by Stanford. <laughs> right. Why didn't you live in the dorms? Um, in part because I like when I moved out, I moved out like there was no like I wasn't going to go home and live at home for the summer. Um, I had met my boyfriend, who is now my husband of over 10 years uh, at as a senior in high school. And that's why I ended up up here. So when I moved, I didn't want to have nowhere to go over winter break. And I didn't want to have nowhere to go over summer break. And quite frankly, it was more affordable because I was living on my own and footing the bill for everything. So it was kind of necessity. Mm -hmm. So you said something earlier uh, in our conversation about looking at sort of the next thing constantly, whether yeah. that be graduation, acceptance to college, the prestigious job. Why, why do people do that? Yeah. So a lot of that, what I've found first from myself, but then in years of working with other people is that we're running away from what we don't want. Right. And what I didn't want was to be broke and I didn't want to be dumb and I didn't want to be, um, not successful. I didn't want to be common or mediocre, right? Which is how I perceived my upbringing and, you know, and my school and all of those other things. And so the irony is, uh, even though I didn't want to be those things, I found out how much I very much was those things. And so that, that running away from what we don't want, what we're afraid of being true for us often makes us just relentlessly pursue this idea of more and more and more. And you see this with, with entrepreneurs who don't let themselves, uh, 
do the thing that they really want to do because the thing they're doing right now is making them really good money. Or you see this with couples who don't want to get divorced and so they stay married even though they're miserable or they get divorced because they can't stand the idea of trying to fix the marriage or whatever. This, I mean, this applies in all areas of our life. When we're more focused on relieving a pain than pursuing something that we really want for ourselves. It creates this unending chase of the next high where you just think you get your sights set on something and you're convinced that that's going to be the thing that completes you or makes something better or makes up for the past or makes you not be like somebody who you don't want to be like all of those things. We're constantly trying to avoid something rather than really being tuned in to what it is we actually want for ourselves. Wow. Uh, how do you stop the chase and at the same time balance that with the desire to achieve the goals that you have? Okay. So I use this really corny analogy that I feel like is appropriate to insert here because this is a, a really common concern <clears throat> when somebody has been a high achiever. They're like, yeah, but like I'm accomplishing great things here. I'm doing good things. I like my work. I I don't want to slow down. And what I just said makes it sound like you would possibly have to be less aspirational or less results oriented. And that's not at all true. So the Cordy analogy is that, um, you know, if you're in the woods and you're being chased by a bear, you'll run pretty quick. And if you are running a marathon, you will also run pretty quickly. The difference is the energy behind it, right? So if you're being chased by a bear, you're terrified of what happens if that thing catches you. There's something that is keeping you moving because you don't want it to catch up with you. You don't want to find out what happens if you slow down. There's a consequence there if you don't run as fast as you can. When you're running a marathon, you're trying to beat yourself. You're running towards a goal. You have a sight and there's a place you're going and you're focused and you're not just running to save your life. You're running to get the high of the run. Right. Uh, not that I actually know, by the way, because I don't run. But uh, that's this is we do this in life. Right. It doesn't mean that you can't run just as hard or as fast and pursue what it is you want. But how are you feeling in doing that? And how would you feel if you had to stop? If you you know, if you pull a muscle and you have to slow down then you slow down, right? And you take care of yourself for a minute, but there's nothing coming to get you. And that that understanding of um, not needing fear-based motivation to get yourself to reach your goals is completely different uh, mentally and emotionally and even health-wise in terms of how you show up for your work. It doesn't mean that you can't be just as fast. It doesn't mean you can't be just as driven. In fact, I actually find that 
a lot of times when people finally let go of this fear-based motivation, this idea of like, I have to make this amount of money, I have to accomplish these certain things that I decided for myself arbitrarily, otherwise I don't stack up to this nebulous idea of what success is in my head. When they let go of that, then all of a sudden they're free to pursue opportunities that often propel them much faster than if they would have stuck with the track that they were really married to. Were you like this when you were younger? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, a hundred percent, you know, I, I took 18 credits a semester while working full time and planning a wedding and graduated in seven semesters. Um, and after seven semesters, I was toast. I was completely, completely finished. And in a way, I'm really glad that I hit that point when I was what, 21, 22, because my body bounced back way faster. But that was a huge wake up call for me that like, this is not how life is supposed to go. And in a sense, I still did that for a while. Like I got a job and worked it and hated it, but still worked it because I thought I needed the money and all of these things. But that was really pivotal to me recognizing like, sure, you can go out and work like this and you can go in air quotes, crush it. Um, but you're not, you're not getting anything for it. Not really outside of, you know, a piece of paper or a sum in the bank account or, you know, some fleeting recognition from someone. There's nothing behind it if you aren't doing it for your own sake. Hmm. Do you ever feel that by going so fast and, and frenetically through this earlier part of like your life that you missed out on anything? Oh, God. Yeah, actually. OK, so my husband and I were just down on campus um, this past weekend and we both said, like, sometimes we wish we could like come back and do a few beer pong beer pong games or like, you know, I don't know. What do college kids even do? Well, like just do those things because we didn't have those experiences. Um and there's like a whole chunk of life that I kind of skipped over also in part because I was effectively married at that point. So I missed out on the whole like dating 20 people or waking up in a place where you don't quite remember how you got there. Like I missed out on all that. Um, I don't know that that's advisable. So that's probably like a good, some thing, of it but, is overrated, but yeah. right. Right. Um, but I, I missed out on all that, but I think what's good is like, I don't, really regret it at this point. Like I said, in some ways, I'm grateful that I learned that really on really early on. Um, because I think people do this much later in life when the stakes are a lot higher. And so like, sure, I didn't get trashed and I didn't, I don't have memories and I don't have sorority sisters that I still call or anything like that, but I'll take it because I, I'm doing life differently now as a result. You're a parent, right? Yeah, I am. How has uh, all of this impacted the way that you're raising your own kids? And what advice would you give to parents who are listening? Yeah, this is huge because one of the things that I realized, my oldest is six and a half. One of the things I realized early on was that I couldn't parent from a place of, um, not wanting to be like my parents or not wanting her to go through 
certain experiences that I went through or not wanting her to end up in therapy or not wanting her to be really screwed up. Um, like those weren't places that were going to actually make me the kind of parent that I wanted to be running away from the negative experiences or the things that I was afraid of, even like running away from a crappy diet or a poor sleep schedule or all of these things, like being scared that somehow I was going to mess her up was actually going to cause me a lot of anxiety and thereby make me a worse parent. Right. And so I had to really take some time to sit down and think about independent of all of my life experience, which isn't really possible, but like, let's pretend it is. Uh, how would I want to parent? How would I want to show up? Who can I use as a role model of what to do rather than saying like, you know, is working going to make my kid end up in therapy? Is having them in daycare too much going to wind them up in therapy? If I don't put her in the very best preschool, does that screw over her chances of ending up at Yale or, you know? So that idea of like being okay with, I can't really mess up my kid as long as I am coming from a place of them knowing they're unconditionally loved, being free to be completely imperfect and to have emotions and to learn to grow and to let them see me doing that at the same time is much healthier than me trying to create this perfect environment where they're coddled along and don't experience any form of hardship so that then they don't end up in therapy or damaged or unable to cope or whatever other things parents worry about. Yeah, that's funny. I had a guest named Philip McKernan here and I asked him a similar question and his response was, no matter what you do, you're going to fuck your kids up. Exactly. And and you can't know, right? Because there's no way of telling um, how your kids are interpreting their interactions with you. You know, I mean, my brother and I are only three years apart. He ended up fine. I ended up in therapy, like, like whatever. I didn't actually end up in therapy. I should have ended up in therapy. That's a, <laughs> that's another story. Um, but it, it, like, you just can't say there are too many variables there. And so rather creating an environment where you're like, Hey, you know what? I believe you're resilient. I believe you can figure this out. I believe that you're resourceful. And I believe that however I'm currently screwing you up, I'm raising you so that you will be able to recover from whatever it is I'm inadvertently doing to you right now. And I think that's far more powerful to instill a kid with that kind of trust in themselves and that understanding that like I can bounce back and I can learn and I can cope and I can reach out for help and I know where to go for support and I know where to get what it is I need. The primary thing that I need being to believe in my own ability to help myself. And if we can do that for our kids, then we're not as scared to be parents. They're not as scared to go out into the world. And while I don't have, you know, any concrete evidence of this yet, my hope is that that actually does prevent them from winding up in years of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. Uh, Walk me through how you get from college to the work that you're doing today. Hmm. Um, So like I said, I I got out of college, took a job. I I did technical writing because I I had been, I got an English degree. It was the fastest way out of college. Um, And so I just tacked on a technical writing thing so that I could at least make money, right? Rather than being an overeducated barista. And so I went to work, but knew probably three days in that I was not cut out for corporate life. I think I knew it before that, but probably needed to at least to give it a go to really prove that to myself. And three days in, I had my evidence. And so I spent the next four, five years trying to entrepreneur, right? And I, I was kind of lost, which is often a consequence of doing this frenetic chasing of things that you think will fill you up and then turn out to be really disappointing. And so I was in this phase where I was looking for something that was right for me, something quite frankly, to, to fill me up and to make me feel good about myself. I clearly hadn't done any of this work yet. And eventually, like I just tried so many things, all of which failed because my, my intention behind them was completely wrong. And after I had my second daughter, I kind of hit a breaking point. I was working at from home and which was awesome, right? It was the kind of situation where I was making good money. They were letting me work from home. Uh, it was an easy job. Like there were all kinds of things that would have made many other people really happy to trade places with me. But ironically, that's part of what kept me there, right? Is that I had this sense of guilt for wanting something better than what was already uh, by my standards at the time, a relatively cushy situation. And so when I kind of reached my breaking point, I just quit. I just quit my job pretty spontaneously and I had no real plan, but I just started helping people. I just got on the phone. I had listened to podcasts for years. I had studied online business. If that's really a thing that you can do, I could tell you how to set up a funnel, but didn't have a business myself, that type of thing. And so I quit my job and just started helping people. And within two weeks, replaced my income with copywriting. And after that, started realizing like, okay, I really hate deliverables. I knew I didn't actually want to be a copywriter, but it was just interesting that I replaced my income so quickly when I had been trying to entrepreneur for five years and hated deliverables and realized that the thing that was keeping people from actually having good copy was the crap going on in their heads. And so I told my husband, I was like, I think I'm just going to scrap the writing part and I'm just going to get on the phone with people. And it was, it was very organic. It was just a, Hey, like I've been helping people with this and now I can help you with that too. And I had, to be fair, I had my own mindset coach at the time. And she also said to me, she's like, you, I think this is something you could do, which I was in complete denial about, but 
um, ended up being true. But it took like the slow winding path. And it was the first time in my life that I was okay with that. You know, I cranked out another kid in that time. And, um, and that was kind of, you know, three years of life was recovering from second child and then having another one and recovering from that. And, uh, until this really became what it is I do. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Wow. 
So you mentioned that three days into a job, you knew that the corporate thing wasn't for you, and yet it still took five years before you kind of were able to untether yourself. Yeah. And I'm wondering why you think that happens to people. Why is it that somebody three days into knowing something, whether it be a job, whether it be a relationship, will stick around for so long, despite the fact that they know it's not right, right from the get-go? Yeah. So some of it is we are married to the results that we think that thing is going to give us, right? In my case, it was this job is a path to the type of house that you always wanted to live in as a kid. It's financial security, which you didn't get to experience as a kid. It's like all these things, right? So we have this idea that the thing that isn't right for us is somehow filling a need that we can't fulfill elsewhere. So there's, it's this imperfect solution that is eating us up inside. But because of the promise that we have attached to this solution that we're married to, we can't let go of it. Um, and that, that attachment to results is a huge part of what keeps people obsessed with whatever it is that isn't right for them. Kind of like I was saying earlier, when, when somebody, you know, is making money in a way that no longer is a good fit for them and they're burning out and they're uh, unfulfilled and they're bored and they just want to be doing this other thing that they've been toying with in the back of their head, but they can't let themselves do it because they've gotten really hung up on the type of result that they're getting for themselves right now. So it's possible that you probably don't give much thought to the cleaning products that you use, whether it's dishwashing liquid, laundry detergent, or spray-on cleaner. If you're like me, you probably just picked up whatever was on the shelf that could get the job done. Well, it turns out that most of the household cleaning products and personal care products that we use are filled with toxic chemicals that can be really harmful, not just for our environment, but for our health as well. And that's why I'm really excited about the fact that Grove.co decided to sponsor the podcast. They're on a mission to help every family create and sustain a healthy, beautiful home, which aligns with our mission to help improve the quality of your personal and professional life. Remember that as unmistakable creative guest Jim Bunch once said, everything that you see, hear, smell, taste, and touch is an environment that has an impact on your life. And that includes the products you use to clean and take care of yourself. I've been using the Myers cleaners to wipe down my desk every night before I go to sleep. Not only does this stuff smell amazing, but I wake up in a very zen-like, focused state of mind because my desk is spotless. In addition to selling eco-friendly, non-toxic products, which are vetted to be the best all-natural products around, you get a personal concierge, which is crazy for a company that sells cleaning and personal care products and they price match so you know you're getting the best price. For a limited time, Unmistakable Creative listeners who sign up get an amazing $30 Myers gift set, a free 60-day VIP membership, and a bonus gift for you when you sign up and place an order of $20 for more. So check out grove.co slash creative for their special offer. When you buy from grove.co, you're not just supporting the Unmistakable Creative, you're supporting the planet. And that's what I call conscious capitalism. Let's do this. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, the thing that really got my attention about your work is that Sarah mentioned a, a mental model or framework called the four quadrants. And I'm always obsessed with people who have these bizarre mental models because every time I hear about one of them, they lead to very profound changes in my own life. And okay. so 
Can you walk us through it? But more importantly, explain to me first how you arrived at this conclusion. I arrived at this conclusion because I have been through all four quadrants. Okay. Um, and, and by virtue of looking at my own life, where I went from being this person who hustled hard and got everything that she wanted and made it happen and there were no obstacles, to being this person who was depressed and watching Ellen and eating haagen on the couch in the middle of the day, to being this person who kind of let life happen to her but was very much okay with it and was just letting things go and I was feeling considerably better but not creating any resistance results for myself to this place where I'm at now, where it's some kind of happy marriage of all of those things minus the Hagen dazs um, That's kind of where it started, is watching my own transformation, but then seeing where do all of my clients fit? Because I would see these similarities and these differences between them. And I always knew what to tell them, but it was always very different. And so I just started plotting people and started understanding the similarities and differences between their head, like how they were thinking about things, but also how they were feeling about things. And that marriage of the two is really important when you're trying to get ahead. So, yes, that's that's okay. where it came from. Okay. So let's talk about each one. Um, can you explain what they are and how they can be applied to our lives? Yeah. So when like my kind of frenetic energy phase was very much uh, what I call fight, uh, the the four quadrants are fight, flight, freedom and freeze. So um, flight, fright, <laughs> flight fight and freeze are obviously fear responses and they are um the the places where people are allowing fear to run their life and freedom is obviously the escape from that so fight was when i was very much in hustle mode and i was fighting against everything that i didn't want to be so I had a lot of ownership over my life and was very focused on creating results, no matter how crappy I felt about them. This is why I was able to stay at a job I didn't like. It's why I was able to go to school, even though I realized pretty quickly that like maybe it would be a good idea to take a break and figure out who you are and what you want to do with your life. Um, it's the thing that made me buy my house pretty quickly in the suburbs when I was 24. Who lives in the suburbs when they're 24? Um, but it made me do these things from a place of, I don't want to be that. And so I'm going to run full sprint towards whatever it is I can do or have to prove that I'm not that. And so it always has this energy of proving something, um, needing to hit metrics, it not being optional to not accomplish something, that type of energy. It's really, um, if I was going to make like a blanket stereotype, it would maybe be like a tech startup entrepreneur, right? Mm. Uh, like this hustle for the sake of hustle, you know, work 150 hours a week type of thing, even if that's not how it's showing up for you, but that same energy. Um, flight people are my, my haagen eating days where they are still very much attached to the results. They 
they want all of the things that the fight people have. They want those results. They don't like where they're at right now, but they can't get themselves to be the thing that changes their life. Right? They, they haven't taken ownership for the results that they're getting. And so they're looking for something outside of themselves to come in and change what it is they're doing so that they can get this result that they think that they need in order to feel good about themselves. As a sidebar, um, fight people often attract flight people because flight people wish that they were fight people. And so when you see uh, people scooping up courses and self-help books and all this stuff, they're often written by people who have accomplished a lot and are extremely successful and they are read and consumed by people who wish that they could be that and are frantically looking for it. And that's why the success rate and the transformation rate on those types of things is relatively low because fight people can't understand people who haven't taken ownership for their life because they have so much ownership. They take so much uh, self-responsibility for everything that they do that they can't wrap their heads around somebody not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then freeze people are people who have said, you know what, like I'm done doing things uh, just for the sake of doing them. They have stopped this chase. They're no longer obsessed with the results. They're rather engaged in the process. And they they do things for the fulfillment of doing them rather than the, the high that they hope they'll get when they're done doing the things. They also lack some ownership, though, frequently in terms of what it is they really want for themselves. They they haven't said, they haven't put a stake in the ground and said, this is the big, hairy, scary thing that I really want. And so now I'm going to go for it. They rather are just letting life kind of happen to them and they feel really good about it, but they're also not pursuing or actively focused on creating something. And freedom people are this unicorn blend of people who want a result, who know and have a vision for where it is they're going and what it is they'd like to create. But the fulfillment and the joy of their life is creating that result and not so much what happens as a result of the work. The, you know, the results are kind of the cherry on top or the even the natural consequence of them engaging in a process that they would engage in no matter what. Um, kind of across the board, whether we're talking about work or life, it's all the same. It's funny that that fourth quadrant makes me think of, of people who are authors. You kind of know that whether they're writing books or not, they will always be writing no matter yes. what. Yeah. So several questions come from this, as you might imagine. Uh, my first thought was, as I was hearing you talk about each of these quadrants, when people come to you, do they see them as a hierarchy or do they actually see them as different quadrants like you would on you know, uh, a bar graph with like an X, Y axis? The yeah. other question is, um, 
can you be in different quadrants at the same time based on you know certain areas of your life? Yes, for sure. Okay, so that one's quick and easy to answer. You can definitely be um, in different quadrants. There are many people who are fighters in their work life and who are flighters in their relationships. Uh, or So yes, um, to your other question about a hierarchy. Our society, Western society, American society, whatever, we'll just speak in blanket statements for the sake of briefness, has conditioned us to think that everybody should be a fighter. Um, and that those are the people who we most put on pedestals. They are the people who most people look up to because they get results. They make the money and they have the stuff and they they have something to show for all of their effort. And we also really value this idea of hard work and uh, engaging in the struggle and overcoming things and perseverance and tenacity and like these these things that yes are good and are part of life but we glorify them so when somebody has really slogged it out and like the more miserable they've been and the more adversity they've been through the more we hold them up right and so we are conditioned to think that we want to be fighters uh nobody wants to be a flighter because we think of flighters as you know the the riffraff of society uh, but what's interesting about that is I went from fight into flight, and that was actually a really good move for me because it it was the first step to me not being willing to feel like crap anymore. It was me putting a stake in the ground and saying, you know what, like, I'm just not down for doing things just for the sake of doing them anymore. And I'm still going to be kind of hung up on the results I'm creating, but not enough so that I'm going to be like that anymore and burn myself out and be miserable. So and then freeze people um, and freedom people fall somewhere in the middle. It kind of depends on how, uh, I don't know the, the right word here, how spiritual or enlightened or in tune or whatever word you want to use there, a person is, um, those people are often dismissed as, uh, people who aren't in touch with reality again, right? Because we value the struggle those people aren't struggling, but they're not struggling because they've mentally disengaged from the struggle. It's not that they don't go through crap in their life, um, but they're mentally not attached to that struggle anymore. But because we don't see or hear about the negative aspects of their life, they tend to be dismissed or written off as being out of touch or uh not aware of how things really are, that type of thing. So I think we tend to put people in a hierarchy. A lot of my clients come to me and they they want to be fighters or they they want fighter results without feeling like a lazy bum. Uh, but 
there is no hierarchy, right? There's, I mean, you can land wherever you want to, but I'm here to tell you that, I mean, by virtue of it being called the freedom quadrant, that's probably the one you want to head towards just because you get what you want, but you don't need to get what it is you want in order to feel good about yourself in that place. Wow. Interesting. Uh, you know, it was interesting to hear you describe the fact that as a society, we create this hierarchy, whether we're aware of it or not, because you're absolutely right. We put you know, pictures of billionaires on the covers of magazines and we glorify their achievements. And I guess what I'm wondering is how you get from fight to freedom without losing your mind. And why is it that people hit ceilings in terms of their achievement. And the reason I'm asking this question is because I, I remember distinctly reading something in your about page that uh, you talked about helping people break through from multiple six figures into seven figures, which is interesting considering we're talking about letting go of our need for results. Okay. So getting from fight, fight to freedom, if somebody is really, really married to fight, the more the more a person has created for themselves, the more successful they've been, uh, often the harder it is. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of times that requires some kind of life altering moment. They end up in the ER with a panic attack or a heart attack or uh, have terrible adrenal fatigue and, you know, look 20 years older than they are. Uh, they have a spouse that leaves them or their kids uh, barely know them. Things like this where where there's some kind of wake up call. There are very few instances where somebody says, like, you know what, They're like, this just isn't working for me anymore, and I think I'm going to try something better. It does happen, um, but often because they've already bumped into that kind of burnout before or they've been surrounded by other people who have gone through that thing and they're aware enough to say, oh, like, okay, I don't want that to happen. How that happens is... A, a deep exploration of your worst case scenario. Like what happens if you stop being the person that you've constructed in your head? What if you stop getting the results that you're getting right now? What if you don't hit your quarterly forecast? What if you don't sell out the thing? What if your book sells 10 copies to your mom? What if, you know, these things and, but then keep going with that worst case scenario and figure out like, what do you really attach about yourself to these results? Because the only reason anybody would go that long and hard and make themselves that exhausted and miserable and drained is because there's something that you think you're getting for it. And once you realize that you can give that thing, whatever your thing is, personally. You can give that to yourself independent of the results that you get. Then you're free to go get those results, but without having yourself hooked into those results. Wow. It's interesting because uh, we had a guest named Annie Yassim here who wrote a book called Fulfilled, which was all about sort of the neuroscience of fulfillment. And I think one of the things that really struck me, and I even wrote about this in, in uh, this piece titled What We Should Have Learned in School But Never Did, 
was the fact that we as a culture largely operate from a sense of deficiency. There is this sense that we need something to change in order yes. to be okay. Yes. I, like, I, I am convinced in my mother's mind, until both her kids are married, she's not going to feel okay. Right. Like, that has to change. But I don't think she realizes that the moment that changes, something else will replace it. Right. Yes. And that's the that's the thing that fighters run into. Right. Is like this um, this constant chase. I heard I was at a mastermind weekend and somebody used the term infinity money. Right. Like you hit this number and then it's like, well, but now I actually need this number and then it's the next number. And and you can do this in in your relationship. Right. I I need this much time with my partner. I need him or her to act this kind of way. I need these and these and these and these things. And and then it something else just comes in, right? And when, once you let go of this idea that something outside of you is going to be the thing that's going to give you the feelings that you want for yourself, then it's just fun to get those things because it's fun, because you want it, because it seems like an interesting idea, because you're curious about what happens. You're curious about who it is you have to become in order to make a $10 million business or to write a New York Times bestseller or whatever, but it's just part of your growth. And those results come as a, res as a result of your growth. They're just consequences of something that you're naturally doing anyways, rather than it being something that you have to hit in order to be okay and to not feel deficient. Wow. So I have two last questions. I think we uh, kind of glossed over this, but what, what causes people to hit ceilings and how do they overcome those ceilings? Right. So ceilings are, ceilings are multifaceted, but at some point a person is just not willing to do what it is they think they need to do in order to get the type of result that they want for themselves. So that's a two, it could be twofold, right? They either haven't taken enough ownership. They don't really believe that they are the person who can make that thing happen. They don't actually, uh, know that they can, can create that type of result or they can bring that vision into reality for themselves or they've gotten to the point where they realize that they could keep going and going and going and going, but that this isn't working anymore. So sure, I could just double my working hours and then double my income, or I could, uh, you know, double my team and then have all kinds of overhead or whatever. But they they've gotten to the point where they're no longer willing to do what they've convinced themselves is the only way to get a greater result. And so that type of thinking of, you know, I'm going to have to double my hours, I'm going to have to double my team, or I'm going to have to do it this way. When someone has decided too quickly how to create the type of result that they want for themselves, then they actually just get stuck because they are not thinking about things from a different place than how they've gotten to where it is they are right now. Wow. Uh, 
This has been amazing. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think it's when a person is really aware of and sure in who it is they are in this moment, that they don't need to be something five years down the road and that they don't need to make up for something that they're lacking right now, but they're, that they're sold on their completeness at this moment with the understanding that they're going to be more than they are right now in a week and in 10 years and in 20 years and just living from that place where they're always showing up for their own growth and for the service of others based on where it is they are right now. Well, I think that makes a poetic and fitting into a very brilliant conversation. Where can people find out more about you and your work? So you can find me at jessicaelyelly.com. Um, I will put a landing page with resources about the four quadrants. Sometimes it's a little easier if you can visualize things. I'll put something together um, at backslash unmistakable creative so that people can just go straight there and get some things about what we talked about today. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. 
the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.